Welcome to the Q. Conversations in digital media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. You're in the queue. Welcome to the queue, everyone. Conversations in digital media. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with agencies and brands all across the nation for all their digital marketing needs. Whether it's a large agency or brand or a local agency or brand trying to enter in the digital marketing space, Q1 Media's experience can help navigate the nuances of the digital marketing landscape. Please check out Q1 Media's website at q1media.com. That's Q1 Media, the number one, dot com. And we had a good good talk today with Justin Gargiulo, the co-founder of Voter Trove. Uh, he is, had been working in the political space for a long time, um, since basically when he got out of college and started doing uh, mailers and uh, databases. But it was interesting to talk about Justin and how he got started in the digital space and really the data and the analytics that go behind all of the information that politicians want to see. So it was a really good, really, really good um, conversation with him just about, you know, the inner inner workings of data. We talked a little bit about Cambridge Analytica, the changes in Facebook, um, and really just the, the ad spend that's being um, spent in social media and just the online marketing space politically. So I hope you guys enjoy it. It was a really good conversation. Uh, and again, you're in the queue. Well, thanks, Justin, for joining us here in the queue. I appreciate you coming. I know battling some of the traffic in Austin can be a little difficult. Yeah, never fun. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, so I hear you're an avid beer drinker. Uh, I know this might be putting you on the spot, but uh, is there a particular beer that you prefer in Austin, or I know you're, you might have one that's not in Austin that's like your favorite. Well, what's your go-to? Yeah, so, so I'm an IPA guy, kind of always have been, and yeah, the style has evolved a bit, and now like the big thing is are these New England IPAs, so kind of the hazy sort of IPAs, sort of juicy and you know uh, tropical like flavors and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, and it's funny. So I'm from New England originally, I'm from Connecticut, and I moved about ten years ago. And we never had those beers when I, I was there. So now that I'm in Texas, of course, like now they've got all the great beers and. We've got some pretty good ones here. There's one in town uh, at Pine House Pizza called Electric Jellyfish, which is absolutely amazing. It's kind of oh, become the one. flagship. Have you had it? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. That's my go-to, and it's 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 kind of more uh, available uh, as we go here. So, uh, yeah, strictly IPAs. I wish I could branch out of different stuff. I'll try stouts every now and again, but pretty much IPAs. Yeah, so. it's, and it's springtime, so it's, you know, it's yeah. just try to get yeah, an nice IPA flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. uh, well, so you're from the, the, the Northeast, uh, Connecticut, you know, kind of, I know for those listeners, uh, you founded Voter Trove. Um, you've gotten in the political space, but you know how did that really start? You know, were you always interested in politics as a kid? Did you have kind of a family who maybe was into it or maybe not? Yeah, not really. So my family kind of apolitical, and uh, mm-hmm. I went to the University of Rhode Island, and as a marine affairs major, which is kind of super weird, but um, just kind of coastal zone management, sort of this obscure program, and. Uh, then I, you know, had a professor. I think it was my junior year, a political science course, and just really just inspired me to kind of, you know, want to learn more and, and, and get involved. And so, I ended up being a political science major. Uh, graduated, uh, dating myself back in 1998. And what's instructive because so I walked into the as an intern to the Connecticut Republican Party, and 
and Republicans there was like literally like six of us in Connecticut. So even at that time, <laughs> it wasn't you know it was definitely a Democrat controlled state. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know just the intern and like really had no experience with anything you know data or, or otherwise. And they basically you know I got there. They they threw a CD on my desk and it was the entire state of Connecticut, the voter file, which we could talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, figure it out. You know, and I'm like. Okay, right. So like essentially and to date myself too, so it was uh every congressional congressional district had its own C D, like C D ROM. Like this is, you know, like twenty five wow. years ago or whatever. So um that's how old it was. So, you know, all on Microsoft Access and yeah. you know, so basically my, my job was to help them target uh direct mail for, for candidates. Okay. So the targeting then and it's really not much different now, we'll probably talk about it a little bit, mm-hmm. but it was essentially trying targeting folks who have a proven record of voting. Right. So going into a district, say like State House District 75 and pulling all the unaffiliated voters and Republican voters or Democrats that have like this specific profile of, of whether they vote or not. Yeah, we did some stuff with like age and gender and things like that, but mm-hmm. it was pretty basic at that time. So so from there, you know, I became kind of the guy that was doing that, you know, sort of the direct mail guy, pulling lists, um, you're not really doing much on content, but then um, evolved to work at the state Senate caucus in Connecticut, mm-hmm. where I kind of handled these similar things. And then also um, was in charge of, you know, digital media and websites and as Facebook came on. So uh, moved to Texas in 2010. How did you make that jump from direct mail to like digital media? I mean, I guess, how did that perform? Did y'all see good results from it or... Yeah, it was, you know, it was funny because so like probably 2002. So again, I went from mail and like, oh, websites. And this is like the next thing. And everyone's all excited about it. My boss is all excited about it. So like, what can we do? And, you know, video at that time wasn't really being done, right? So like we had, and it was Flash, Macromedia Flash, which is now, I mean, old deprecated deal. But it was so cool because you could animate stuff, right? So you can Mm -hmm. have video. I mean, I think Flash 3, you can add video. Uh, You can animate stuff. And there's all, you know, these Flash intros. Very pixelated. I mean, this is like even dating myself, but like you, you go on a website and there's just like, you know, intro, whatever, it was stupid. But so in any event, so, but we looked at that, we're like, oh, video in, in politics is like, this is, this is an opportunity. So we did it. I don't think we did it very well, but essentially I built these kind of flash movies that had videos from, you know, from the can- the candidates, you know, mm-hmm. essentially before YouTube where it was like, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, John Smith and I'm running for state Senate and da da. And if I, if I ever looked at them right now, like it would be horrifying to me what they look like, <laughs> yeah. the lighting, the hostage videos are like in the corner, like, like it was brutal, but yeah. Um, but yeah, even at that time, so we were always looking at ways to improve how we can communicate with, with voters, and it was a cool thing at the time, and you know we got some traction on it. Actually, I think we 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 our website was like the Macromedia site of the day, and it was like a big deal. And NASA was the next day, so we were we were it was cool. It was wow. it was exciting. Do you remember how many like views you would get to the site oh, at that good, time? Good question. Um, I, I don't, I'd have to look back, but yeah. I mean, it was never more than like a thousand. I mean, yeah. it was like, you know, it was pretty, pretty, and, and these weren't big campaigns either. These mm-hmm. were smaller, like state Senate campaigns. Right. It wasn't like even a governor's campaign or whatever, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of the evolution and like, okay, well, how do we communicate with voters? That's going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at video, obviously web, everyone wanted a website then. And then, you know, maybe three, four years later, 2007, eight, nine, you know, we were looking at Facebook as a way to, you know, obviously to reach voters and, and that's evolved. So yeah, I mean, it kind of started for mail and, and from there, 
um, grew. But like, yeah, my background has really, really been more on data and targeting. I got involved in content and just kind of new ways to communicate. But it was really more on like, who do we want to talk to, who right. do we want to reach. And so you use the data initially from a CD-ROM <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to direct mail. Mm -hmm. Then you switch over to digital media. Now you're going into the social media aspect of things. I guess let's take us take it back to say that 2007 time frame uh, where we first see you know a major election utilize social media. You know, how did you guys acclimate the data and transition into what is now the social media world? Yeah, so it's, at that time, you know, with Obama in 08, and then even even 12 to a certain degree, it was mm -hmm. really like the Wild West. I mean, when it came to Facebook, um, you know, you know, obviously they've changed a lot over time and locked down a lot of the data that they have. <clears throat> Excuse me. At that time, it was just like you know, with the open graphs, and I mean, it was like you can get whatever you want, which is, yeah. you know, kind of how you know Cambridge Analytica came into play, and you know, this you know through Trump, um, and obviously that was a huge controversy and scandal or whatever. But like those were things that were being done prior to them. I mean, that wasn't anything new that they were doing. So um, you know, certainly you know, Facebook became a big player in 08. You know, I started my company in 2010, mm -hmm. so it's kind of in between, you know, or 2011. So it was before the 2012 cycle when Facebook really took off for Obama. They really loved it. I mean, like literally 100x what the other side was doing. You right. Know, it was. I mean, it was a clinic at the time. It was amazing. So um, you know, essentially connecting people and um, you know through friends and, and building networks and you know being able to see who your friends. Are. I mean, it was it was you know obviously it changed it changed the game. It's much different now than right. it was then. Um, but even then, like, you know, where, where I've evolved my roots of like, okay, direct mail, a database, like a, essentially a first, first party data, right? This file, right. consumer file, well, CRM file, whatever you want to call it, like this group of people are the people I want to talk to. It took, you know, probably from 98 when we were doing that to when digital came to up until recently where, you know, I can match that, you know, with IP match it or cookie match it or upload it to Facebook as a custom audience. So like, I know like those are the people I'm talking to. No, I mean, there's value, certainly behavioral stuff and demographic stuff, and, you know, that stuff's out there, and it's valuable. Um, the most valuable thing for a political marketer, though, is to know if that uh, voter has a, a, a previous record of voting. Right. Uh, it's really a huge part of it. And all that is publicly available data, which I think most people don't realize. But How much of the what, – what is available? I, I think some people out there who don't know it, the voter public record, what exactly is available? Well, like, what type of data? Yeah, I think it shocks a lot of people. So, like, yeah, every state has one. It's all man; they're all managed independently. Each state asks for, requires different information when you register to vote. Um, you know, some states, like you know, California, for example, has email on their file, um, which again is publicly available. And each you can get the file from the state, and it varies in price. I mean, you can get, geez, I think the state of Florida, you know, fifteen million voters, you can go out and buy it for like twenty bucks, like literally. You know, they've got a, actually a very clean system there because of their history. You know, they've had to kind of clean things up. But you can literally buy a file with every voter in the state of Florida for like 20 bucks or something. It's crazy. Um, and you get, I don't know if Florida has it, but most, in most states you get phone number, whether or not they're good or not. You know, and some states mobile numbers as well. But certainly address, you know, first name, last name. Date of birth is on pretty much every file. Uh, gender, you know, I said some states like California have email. So, and I mean, there's restrictions on how you can use them in most states. Like you have to be either a political party or, or you, you sign an affidavit. Like you can't use it for commercial purposes. Like so, you know, just a, whatever, you know, company can't buy it and just start marketing to people off the voter file. But it's available, yeah. So, but I mean, the most, I think the thing that people find the most intrusive is like, we know if you vote or not. Like, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big deal. Like, as a political marketer, like, if, you know, you haven't voted in the last 10 years, like, 
you're, you're not going to see as much, which maybe for some people is good. Um, but that spans to mail, uh, robocalls, digital, like, you know, you won't be in a custom audience of on Facebook where someone is now you know, trying to target you. So on the Republican side, typically, you know, uh, vote history is a much bigger deal. On the left, you know, they tend to kind of try to broaden their reach because they, they you know, this, you know, we they typically know like, okay, if you've never voted and you're going to vote for the first time, you're more likely to vote Democrat, um, maybe because you're younger or, or whatever. So like, their their targeting will typically be more broad than um, on the right. It's you know, usually you know they're really going after if you vote. And yes, I mean, long answer to your question, mm-hmm. that's data that we know in every state. And do also, they, do they break down? Say you voted for propositions, uh, yes or no? Do they know kind of what party affiliation you're voting for and records like that? Yeah, so we so we won't know who you, like what you voted for, but we know your affiliation in most states. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas actually is not a party registration state, so like when you register to vote, you don't have to choose a party. Mm-hmm. But um, in Texas and other states, there's maybe three, a handful others that don't have party affiliation that we know which primaries you vote in, right? So like, so let's say I vote in a Democrat primary in Texas, I'm going to be pretty much targeted. You know, people will, will assume that I'm a Democrat. Now, I, next time I can vote in a Republican primary, but most people don't do that. I mean, you pretty much stick to your, and you can only vote in one or the other. Like, you can't vote in both. Yeah, in, in Texas, Texas, yeah. In some states, you 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 don't you can vote in either. You can be an unaffiliated mm-hmm. voter and vote in either primary. So it's just kind of wonky. I mean, it's just state by state. And but, you work with, I mean, you started working with these representatives, these, these candidates. What information do they most desire? I mean, what is it that they are always like, hey, Justin, what, what can we get <laughs> from you? Like, are they, because once you give them a little bit of data, they're like, well, what else can you give me? Can you give me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the funny thing is like, they're so really not evolved when it comes to this. Like, they're mm-hmm. not marketers, right? I mean, they are, but they aren't like, you know, they, they're more concerned with, you know, someone wrote a nasty comment on Facebook and like that ruins their day. Like, they're not, I mean, they think about it more now. I mean, they, they know the things that are available. Very early on, like, my job was really to convince, you know, a lot of these elected officials that the way they should be targeting. Because they want to target everybody. It's like, mm-hmm. well, no, no, you have a finite amount of, of resources here. Like, you really shouldn't be, you know, you know, if you're going to mail people, you don't want to mail people who, like, literally has never voted or is not registered to vote, which sounds really terrible for democracy. But, like, to run an effective campaign, like, that's kind of what you do. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, over time, as they've realized kind of what's available, you know, they'll ask more questions. But at the same time, there's so much data out there. And for someone who's kind of a novice with it, like, you can see all these shiny objects and, like, think you want to they're useful, but like my experience is like a lot of them really aren't useful. There's a very core, particularly in campaigns, there's a core set of you know, fil- you know criteria or whatever, um, enhancements, demographic data that are valuable. Things like gender, you know, um, obviously income levels are, are, are significant and, and, and they, they, you know, folks use those to target, you know, um, gender, age, you know, vote history, whether you're a veteran or a gun owner or, you know, those types of things, mm-hmm. like basic stuff. Um, so I would say I usually try to tell clients like, hey, just focus on between like five and 10 core sort of demographic character and then just just hone in on those and develop a plan around that. Now, if you're a presidential campaign, you know, you've, you've got sophisticated algorithms and models that you've built that are spitting out things every day. So it's a bit more complex. Yeah. But they're generally working off the same things anyway, survey based research, um, and then modeling out onto a larger file, creating essentially lookalike audiences and things like that. So they're relying on you. I mean, basically to get as much data as they can, cause they, 
like you said, they're, they're not as savvy as, as maybe, you know, your typical marketer or your typical data analyst to, to look at this. So they have a whole team. Um, I guess, you know, let's go into a little bit about, you know, how you started with uh, Capital Factory, Voter Trove. You said you start 2010. Uh, you're kind of moving in the digital space pretty quickly. Uh, you know, how did that incubator, you know, come, uh, come about? and you know how it got started and, and everything. Yeah, no, it was fascinating. So, you know, I, I was, I think I was co-working at Capital Factory, just had kind of an office downtown and do meetings and stuff. And you know, at the time, I think I was, geez, I was like maybe 36. And it was, it was interesting because I had come from sort of the, I worked for state government prior to that, right? So like I knew enough about, you know, running a business than like someone like riding a bus, like driving a bus, like, like a bus driver. Like I, I had no concept of business or anything. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I did a master's degree, but it was like digital media. Like I wasn't, I didn't know how to run a business. So, you know, it, it was a cultural, sh- cultural shock at the time because again, I'm, you know, I'm 36. I got kids, I got a mortgage and everyone there is, you know, they're like 23 and <laughs> they want to change the world and they, they're eating ramen noodle and paying 700 bucks a month. And that's totally fine. I get it. Like I, I, I've been there. Um, but at the stage of my life, um, it created for some interesting and, and I met some great people there, but I think a big reason why I pursued that was, I mean, certainly there was a lot of intelligent people there who have built and sold businesses. Um, they found what I was doing to be interesting because it was politics and there really wasn't, you know, any, there was no other company there that was doing that. And it was just sort of at the time where Obama was doing his stuff and, you know, and this sort of interest in on the in, te- in, in tech folks in general in politics, right, is was growing because there's more issues at stake and things like that. So, I think they found it interesting. Um, I I really benefited from it from just an entrepreneurial standpoint because there are so many times as an entrepreneur, um, particularly technology, um, which is a, a exceedingly difficult business to to run um, because you, you're building stuff and it breaks and that's going to happen and it happens to everybody. But to like be in a room with just a bunch of entrepreneurs and startup founders who like were having the same problems at the beginning that, that we were in. Everyone's got problems, right? No one likes to talk about them. But, you know, our stuff was working fine, but then it wasn't. And But then to hear people go around the room and, you know, I think it was like, you know, tell us the, the best thing that happened this week and the worst thing, right? So it was kind of that, you know, you get that out and like, oh, you know, I this you know you talk to this company or that company and they got back to me, oh, great. And then, but then, oh, yeah, our, our week, you know, our, we crashed on Tuesday, right? It's yeah. like, it, just, it was humanizing, you know, so it was really you know, really more of a support group for me to like real as a sole founder to read a non-technical, like somewhat technical, but not really to hear these stories of fellow founders who are experiencing the same thing. And like, Hey, I'm not alone. Like this is, you know, this is happening. So, mm-hmm. um, it really helped in quite frankly, the marketing of our product, like within political, you know, circles, because it was sort of a niche, like nobody else was in an incubator. Like, you know, it just wasn't like, Oh, like, Justin and Voter Trail, like that's the, you know, they're a tech company, like, you know, which we were, mm-hmm. but the, it, it just, it was a novel thing. Like, it, it, I think it gave us a lot of credibility in a space that typically doesn't see those types of companies. Um, and there's been a lot since us, you know, which is, which is great, you know, but at that time it was like, it was a novel thing, I think, for clients. You know, they, they come into the Austin-based ones, you know, they come into the office and we'd have, you know, meeting rooms set up and it's like, you know, the Capital Factory has this like, you know, library, like you pull a, a book and it opens and like there's like this bat cave thing. And I'm like, you know, it's just a cool like and I'm like, ah, oh, it's cool. But like people come in there and like, whoa, like they feel like, you know, they're in like Silicon Valley, you know, so like 
it, it helped in a lot of ways, and maybe it hurts sometimes too, but I think mostly that cachet that we got from it w- was helpful. Mm-hmm. And from, from my standpoint, just personally in, in trying to build a company, it was helpful just to learn from really smart people. So, and I, I still, you know, Josh Bear and those guys there, I mean, they're great. Um, they've grown that. Um, I think they're in Dallas now and looking at Houston and, mm-hmm. you know, out in South by Southwest, they're just kind of the epicenter of things here in, in Austin. So they're, they're um, really proud of what they've done and I appreciate what they've done for me. Mm-hmm. So. so Voter Trove is, is what's the idea behind it when you started it? Um, what has it maybe evolved into? Uh, I know that sometimes you kind of start something and you're like, well, am I pivot here how did how did that come about yeah so we didn't really we haven't really pivoted so basically how you know the idea came from you know again talking about pulling these databases for for clients and you know i wanted to build something that they could do it themselves right so it's like you don't need me running sql statements and whatever to pull this very a lot of them are very simple queries that they were doing so i wanted to build a platform that allow you know you know front-facing you know self-serve for a campaign to go in and pull a list that had these 50 criteria and whatever they wanted to do, and then essentially give them an opportunity to deploy that through some kind of voter contact. So we started it as um, Unicode Upload Data, and we had a uh, phone banking feature. So like, you know, a lot of campaigns run these phone banks where you have volunteers who are calling people and, you know, taking notes and, you know, whatever. And you could now, in 2011, you know, there really wasn't an opportunity to do that on you know, on, on a computer, right? It was like you get a hard copy and you make phone calls from your your landline phone and whatever. <laughs> so this all was done through a browser, right? So they can click on a button, you know, have headset and then just have a conversation with the voter on their computer and record the results. And um, and that was the key thing. Like a big reason why we I did it because, you know, I worked on campaigns to where, you know, they're doing all this hard work. They're knocking on doors, um, taking notes, right? They're calling people. They're, you know, it's a hard copy. And then they go, you know, they go back to the office and they just throw it on, you know, on the pizza box in the corner and like there's valuable data there that's not being used. So like the idea of Voter Trove was to sort of give them a data management platform that would uh, store all the data and then from there make it actionable. So like right. if you want to create another phone bank, uh, eventually we added, people hate this, but we had robocalls um, you can send through our platform and then email. Um, now we, we also have text messaging. So um, essentially an omni-channel um, outreach. And there's a lot of traditional marketing platforms that do that now too, this sort of omni-channel thing where you have this sort of data, um, like HubSpot or something, you have this sort of data hub and then from there just initiate all your contact and track engagement and all that kind of stuff. So we were that, uh, or hopefully still are that for political campaigns. Yeah. Wow. So CD-ROMs all the way to <laughs> yeah. going into digital media. And- yeah. Well, actually, direct mail, I guess. Direct mail, yeah. <laughs> so all yeah. the way into just really having the data and all, all putting it together. So, what um, did y'all did you anticipate? You know, some of the Cambridge Analytica stuff, or yeah, let's talk about maybe kind of 2016. That because I feel that was a big change within what happened. Um, you know, with Cambridge Analytica, Facebook, all the data that's involved. Uh, did you kind of foresee that, or did you kind of know? I mean, you mentioned that Cambridge Analytica was doing kind of what everybody else was doing. Um, it was surprising. I mean, I would say it was surprising to me and not surprising all that went down. What was surprising to me was, I guess, the fact that no one really knew that stuff was happening. And of course, maybe because I'm sort of on the inside of this, I, you know, I, I just knew like it wasn't shocking. Like when that's reported, like what they did, I'm like, yeah, like, OK, yeah. Like, you know, Obama's campaign did that in 12. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a partisan thing at all. Like, I'm just like, that's just the lay of the land. Like that's Facebook made this data available. And, you know, they didn't really um, strictly enforce, you know, kind of their terms and, you know, their, their, their terms and conditions and all that. So, like, it, it wasn't shocking. Um, I don't 
feel bad for Cambridge Analytica. I mean, I, I feel like just as sort of, you know, their reputation wasn't the best um, in the space. And, you know, I've, I've dealt with them and I know a lot of people that have dealt with them. And, you know, I, I'm not, I guess I would say I'm not sad to see what, <laughs> what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's, you know, sorry, I feel bad too. Like, I'm like, well, why, why should they have to have paid the price for it? No, listen, they were doing other stuff that was just totally like, awful yeah um you know with with what came out in that expose piece i don't know it was bad but that part of it like the whole data side of it like to me it's like it's on facebook like i mean they they're they mean now they're obviously facebook's having so many problems and that's when it started and i don't think it, the problems are going to stop with them to be honest i mean it's just yeah and they've talked we were talking just before we started the the podcast that you know there's there's you know political angst now from both sides um you know, how do you think that might have helped shape, you know, the perception of what, you know, you do? And obviously, you know, that, that, that data is already out there that people didn't already know was already out there. And now they're just being more aware. People are more aware that you know, you're collecting data. We are all collecting data and using it to target you and serve ads or get a hold of you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's kind of a slow creep for all this. I mean, five years ago, no one cared, right? It's like, you mm-hmm. know, it's a product and, you know, um, they want to use it and it's free and all that. But I mean, the whole thing is what I mean, they say it's like, if, if it's, you know, if it's free, then you're the product. Right. I think mm-hmm. people now are beginning to realize that. And again, I, it's the kind of thing that people kind of shake their hand at the, the you know, the, the, the sky and be like, whatever. But like, I, I don't think people are leaving Facebook in mass, at least not yet. I think politically it's, what's interesting is, you know, in, in 14 and then definitely 16 and with Trump really leveraged Facebook and just, and I mean, actually a, a phenomenally just, just, precise way like what how what they did was just it was like a clinic really and what's interesting is like you know in eight and 12 obama's team and you know on the democrat side amazing right i mean built new ways to to, to communicate with voters and off in 16 it was all trump i mean trump's team like like lapped hillary's team i mean it wasn't even and again this is not a partisan thing at all mm-hmm. um really used it effectively but now like you know, 18, you know, midterm, okay, there's a lot of excitement around that, a lot of money spent, um, but but not as much attention is going to be paid to Facebook as in 20 with, you know, you've got 10 viable Democrat candidates vying for, for the nomination. Um, they're all plowing money into Facebook. You've got, you know, Elizabeth Warren coming out and saying she wants to, you know, break up Facebook and Google. And then, you know, a week later, Facebook is pulling, you know, censoring her ads that, that say that, which is super weird, right? And then even weirder is having, you know, Elizabeth Warren, obviously very progressive, far left, having this issue, you know, speaking out against Facebook. And then you have Ted Cruz, like, polar opposite right, agreeing with her, right? Because, like, on the right, the problem they have with Facebook is the censorship, right? I I feel, and, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, you know, whatever, but objectively, I can say I think it does happen. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like, you know, on the right, um, it's a lot harder for them to get their ads approved. It takes longer. And I've I've been there. We've placed ads and I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. So you have guys like Ted Cruz who are like, you know, worried about Facebook, not not as much from sort of their position in the market, their dominant position, but just their dominant position in the sense of how they can control message and, 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 and there can be censorship and all that. So far right, far left, agreeing on that. Yeah. Really, really weird. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how it's going to play out in terms of budgets with Facebook going forward. I mean, it became the go-to in, in 18. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in 16 and then 18. Just, you know, right. you, advertising dollars from campaigns are just, are just flowing in, in mass to, to Facebook. I don't know if it's going to have an impact. I don't know if people, the budgets will shrink. They might. You may have some that just on principle, just don't want to, um, you know, 
advertise on Facebook because they just don't want to support that. Right. And then you've got you know Facebook's compliance issues with like how they um, every state you know having different you know um, you know you know, ways you have to disclose you know ads and and do you have to put a you know paid for by and you know I think in Washington State right now Facebook's not running any political ads and I think Google too just because they're not compliant with you know the new regulations there so. It's getting really difficult for them, um, and with the you know increased scrutiny and spotlight on them, particularly with Elizabeth Warren doing what she's doing, I mean, I, I just it's going to get really difficult for them. I yeah, mean, the Cambridge was the start. I don't. I mean, they're they're got to yeah. run through this whole thing. If they make it, God bless them. That's great. I mean, that's like an achievement of capitalism. Um, but I, I mean, it's going to be really hard. You know, it's interesting too because you're on the data side, so you know you can give. Data to to run on multiple campaigns, whether it's a programmatic Mm, mm -hmm. display campaign, video campaign, and all these you know major candidates, or you know especially the top ten on the Democrat side and and the Republican side, they're going to be spending money there. They're Mm going to be doing that. But now it's like, where does that money go? Where can we spend it? You know, is it is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Like, where do they go? Um, so I think that's interesting. Do, what what new technologies do you see maybe coming to the forefront in 2020 that might be different from what we saw four years ago or even in this past election cycle in the midterms? Yeah, I think well, the biggest thing we're seeing, um, and it, I think it plays a digital to a certain extent, is this rise of, of peer-to-peer text messaging. So, um, you know, with, with TCPA regulations, like you can't just mass text people, right? You can't just send them. Like, you have to be opted in, right? I can't just take... 10,000 mobile numbers I get off a voter file or whatever and just blast them with a message. You can't do that. But what you can do is send to them one by one. So it's this exceedingly tedious thing, but like literally you have a screen, you just click, 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 and you send them one by one. You're sending text messages out to voters one by one. And um, the Democrats, uh, there's a company called Hustle out in California who who was really good at this back in 14 and 16, and now Republicans are kind of doing this as well. And why I think it's relevant on digital is like, because it's seen as this kind of new emerging technology, which is not really a new technology, it's just a different way to, to use an existing technology, um, it's kind of eating away into these digital budgets because everybody wants to do it, and like the margins on it are crazy, like what people are charging. It's like you know, 15, 20 cents a text message, which is absolutely crazy. But um, I think it's, I mean, if you're asking what's this the newest sort of, yeah. you know, that's really the flavor of the month or whatever. But um, I think it will kind of eat away at some digital budgets. But digital budgets overall are growing. Right? Yeah. So it's not, you know, I would say, you know, when I started really working in sort of bigger campaigns back in 2010, 2012, it was like in campaigns, like for political campaigns, it was like 10%. Like you, 10% of your budget should go to digital. Like no questions asked. You just, no matter what campaign size you are, 10%. Well, I think Trump, I want to say, did 40% um, wow. in 16 was 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 digital. So, and that was higher than, than I think Clinton was, I mean, I want to say it was like 20. It was it was at least half or less of what he spent. Because they were still spending on traditional TV, radio, outdoor, whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a cultural thing. I mean, as this evolves, like, you, you have certainly digital agencies in, in the political space that that's all they do is, is political. Um, but a lot of times they'll butt heads with kind of the more traditional consultants who like they've been doing TV for years, right? That's their their that's how they make their money. Like right. they don't want to have to learn a new way to do things. And to, to their credit, a lot of them are, you know, mm-hmm. I know a connected TV, and that's kind of merging, and that's kind of a, a whole new, which is probably we'll get back to the and that's connected TV is probably the the next thing, right? right. In terms of digital, 
um, in campaigns and, and everywhere. But yeah, I mean, you have this kind of, and the male guys, you know, they're kind of stuck in their ways and they're getting their <laughs> margins, how they've been doing for the last 20 years and they don't have to think about it. So you have You've been these, since removed that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20, 20 plus years. <laughs> I've um, A lot of them haven't. But yeah. listen, male, there's still value there. I mean, yeah. It's, 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 you know, but as, as they have these conversations, kind of, you know, sort of envisioning this table, everyone's sitting and this guy's arguing for male and this, this person wants TV, like, and there's the digital person in the room, like, that's a constant struggle, like, where those dollars are going to go. And mm-hmm. it's probably not much different for... Procter and Gamble or whatever, like, you know, it happens everywhere. Yeah. Major businesses are starting to go. Like you said, I mean, if Trump spent 40% on digital, it's probably going to be closer to 50, 50. And that battle is going to be won on the digital side. And -hmm. especially, like you said, the transition of society, uh, connected TV accounts for almost 30% of, of the Austin market. Um, so a lot of cord cutters out there, especially, the millennial generation is getting older and, and more and more people are, are going, dropping their cable bills. So mm-hmm. that transition alone, I think you're right, is, is going to play a huge, huge role. And having somebody like you to give the data and then how to utilize that data to target them on connected TV, it's so much more precise than what you can get instead of just going after adults 25, 54, you know, in a, in a certain market that you know might might pull well for you right. <laughs> on well, the that, TV side. And that stuff works well, too, and like kind of like sort of, you know, where the market is today in terms of what the needs are of these clients. Like, I mean, the more traditional consultants, like who are male or TV background, like when you approach them um, to kind of dive more into digital, like they're more concerned with these vanity metrics of like impressions. Like Mm -hmm. that's where they, I mean, maybe there's some on just brands that are like that too. I don't know. But like, you know, they can go to their client and say, we served, you know, 5 million impressions (laughs) in last week. Like, okay. Like, you know, that, that, blows their mind right like they're like this is crazy but like okay what's the engagement like what really what viewability yeah yeah. viewability what really what are your your impressions really your kpi i guess that's probably not the best you know best kpi to have Mm -hmm. so but the ones that are less evolved or just kind of now it's changing you know there's some that are you know much more specific in what they're looking for and particularly how it's targeted but like there are some that are looking just for this broad reach because they want to present to the client like Hey, yeah, we reached everyone 25, you know, between 25 and 44 in, you know, Tarrant County, Texas. Like, okay, great. Like, you know, yeah. 5 million impressions. Awesome, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely changing that there's much higher level of sophistication coming on. And I think what you're seeing now with campaigns is that you have particularly larger campaigns where you have folks in-house who are really capable of running pretty um, sophisticated digital campaigns. Mm-hmm. So digital agencies, they're not going anywhere in, in politics, but there are so many smart folks kind of coming through now who like this is what they grew up doing mm-hmm. and um, can run and manage and report and optimize like effective digital campaigns in-house. So we're seeing that more too. That's good. Yeah, so I guess uh, as far as politically, I mean, are, have you worked with PACs, super PACs? I mean, what type of people do you work with? Do you work directly with the, the campaign? Um, or is it you know typically you know these people who are... You know, have a have a certain message to get out, and maybe not tied to just one candidate, uh, but maybe a particular message like a like a something that's on the platform. Yeah, I mean it ranges. Like, mm-hmm. so we've worked with everything from town council up to like you know presidential super PAC. I mean, yeah. it's been the gamut. We've done some PAC work. Um, we do advocacy work. Uh, actually, mostly well, it's all, some in, in the U.S., but a lot in Australia as well. So we've we've branched out and working there, which has been cool. But. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of runs the gamut. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, we, we work now just with folks who just want to better manage their, their voter data, right? Yeah. So whatever that means, if it's a PAC and they want to, you know, target their mail a certain way or, you know, um, do a text messaging campaign or whatever it happens to be, you know, it just it depends. And, uh, and if, yeah, one of the, if one of those people come to you, what do you typically tell them? Like, what's your, like, bit of advice that you would tell those people, you know, in the digital space and obviously all the data that you can provide to them? Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned before, it's just, like, really be hyper-focused about who you want to talk to. Like, don't, you know, there's so much that's out there, and, and some, of it's, some of it's great, but it, it's not necessarily great for what you're trying to accomplish, right? So, like, you know, do we care, you know, if you... Real read Field and Stream magazine, and you live in Omaha, Nebraska. Like I, you know what I mean? Like just how granular you can go. It's absolutely great. But even if you're running these super sophisticated, you know, A/B testing and you know doing all this stuff, and you know, yeah, maybe it could be. You know, you can test stuff out and see what your engagement is on, on different with, with different very granular segments. But we try to because you know it's still we're on the like the the edge of like this big data phase or oh big data big data like all this data out there well just because there's all this data out there doesn't mean it's all going to be useful to you right. right so that's really more of my um, you know my approach and really getting them to a point where they understand how much more valuable first party data is as opposed to third party data and I'll, I think third party data is great and you could scale it and that's fine and like it's very useful but if you can take your first party data. Um, and, you know, worst case, maybe you're building a lookalike audience on top of that to go out to, you know, in programmatic or, you know, just whatever, or Facebook. Like, that's where you need to start. Like, right. You need, as a, as a candidate, it's so personal. Like, you need, you know, the person who tells me, yes, I'm going to vote for you, you know, November. Like, having that information is, is, is more valuable than anything that you can buy or, or whatever. Right. But if I can find people that are like that person who said they're going to vote for my candidate, that's good too, you know, but like to, to, to extrapolate that out to like, you know, all these, you know, disparate data points and try to piece all this together, you know, it, it's not, uh, it's not the most effective. That, that's my message to them typically. Yeah. Which kind of gives you, uh, you know, there's nothing that, uh, an AI can take away from that. You mm. still need a human at the helm to, to, to discern the data, extrapolate it, go, okay, okay, well, this is where you should put it. Uh, maybe talk to a Q1 media. Okay. This is a, this is how, these are the tactics that you should run on to target these individuals. And like you mentioned earlier, what KPIs are they wanting to get? Was it viewability? Is it, it's not just impressions. It's not just baseline. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's always a need for somebody to, to be at the helm to, to give them that. So obviously you provide that service for them uh, at yeah. Voter Trove. Yeah. I mean, we've worked with you guys before and it's, mm -hmm. it's always been great. Yeah. It's, um, for us, I think the work we've done typically has been sort of this offline matching of files and like, mm -hmm. hey, these folks we want to talk to. Or that we have done stuff where it's really more simple and like, hey, we need everybody, you know, everyone who voted in a Republican primary in San Diego County or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, that kind of stuff, which is quite honestly, this the blocking and tackling of like most campaigns and particularly smaller campaigns and what they're looking for. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, and I think the integration, like, you know, I360 is a big you know, database on the right where I think they're part of Blue Kai or whatever, or you yep. guys had access to that kind of stuff. Like, to a political market or anyone running campaign, like, if they know, like, hey, you guys got I360 data, like, that's a, bit, that's a trusted data source. Um, so that that's definitely helpful. Well, data's king. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us yeah, here in the queue, Justin. We appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.